Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day uh, celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, such a great place to live, work and play. You know, we don't talk about politics too often on this show We do it sort of indirectly when we talk about social media. You know, we've had conversations about Elon Musk and Twitter and what he's doing there, which I think he's going to be successful with his efforts, frankly. But, um, you know, we talk a little bit about the divided world. We Certainly you can't have a conversation about media. I came from the media uh, business and was a CEO for 16 years of my life in in the media side, leading some, some very significant digital media efforts. And not have a point of view about what's happening with media today and the divided world that we're in today. So we talk about issues or we talk about politics in that regard often. But I came across a couple of quotes recently, one from Groucho Marx and one from Winston Churchill that I want to share with you. The first one from uh, Groucho Marx, he said this, politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedies. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. I mean, issues can be can be pretty complicated. That That is for sure. And, um, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, when I, when I look in the state of Mississippi, often I'm thrilled that the democracy is alive and well, and we have spirited debates about the issues. One issue we'll talk about today kind of fits in that, in that category. Mississippi's done a pretty good job of trying to break it all down. Um, the next one is from uh, Winston Churchill. It says, the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. I want you to think about that for just a second. You know, I've said this on this show too often. People are waiting for the thought of the day on Facebook that they're not doing their own homework. I'm really dev- delighted, actually, that super, the Super Talk Mississippi audience really works to to do their homework. They they tend to to be much more engaged around the issues and educating themselves and paying attention to the deeper conversations that we have here. Because you know the the, the answers are not always clear. The answers are, are somewhere in all of that, that big debate that's happening. Maybe it's an adjustment of the two arguments. Who knows? But I think that the discussion and debates that we have here on on Super Talk Mississippi help add to the conversation around finding the best solutions in Mississippi. So um, I think it's great. Um, I think it's true, actually, that the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. I definitely agree with that. If you're on Facebook and pay close attention, you know that. Um, but I am, but I am equally impressed with Super Talk Mississippi audience and the way you pay close attention to these issues. So um, I appreciate you listening. So with that said, let me let me sh- shift gears and move over to my friend Scott Waller, who's the president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic uh, Council and a good friend of Coast View, someone I've had on the show before and I watch very closely. Always been a big supporter of MEC. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on today. 
So it's a we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit. In fact, Jamie Miller, who is a critical strategic partner of yours from the Business Council, will be joining us at some point in this conversation when we'll update people on the the pharmacy bill. And I'll I'll, I'll come back to this in just a second. But we're actually recording this on Tuesday, so some big things are happening. This will not play until next Monday. The reason it's so soon, we had is the when we could get all our calendars and 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 uh, check here, and it was really the only available show uh, by monday by the time this airs things may change pretty dramatically as it relates to the pharmacy bill but we're still going to talk about it as it relates to sort of where we are what could happen and i i really want to zero in on process a little bit the process and if we don't achieve success either way on on, on this legislative session what can be done to bridge the gap as it relates to that issue we'll explain the issue here in just a second but anyway what's uh, what's the latest i know it's a busy time of the of the year for you guys with the legislative session and you're having to pay close attention to what's happening there so what's the latest there well, you're right. It it is very you know this is a, a, a hectic time of the year, especially uh, you know as you mentioned the week we're currently in, which you know will, will be behind us come Monday. Uh, it is it's probably the busiest week of the year for anyone who follows the legislature because it's a it's a it's a deadline day that that gets a lot of bills that are either going to survive and move on to the next step or 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 go away. I mean the the committee deadline gets rid of a lot of stuff that gets introduced. There were, there were more bills introduced this year than I think probably in, in the history of the, the, the legislature, which is very interesting. You know, I told somebody not too long ago, do not tell me that election years are, are nothing happens in an election year because that's the furthest thing from the truth, particularly this year. Uh, a lot of stuff's out there. But, but you know, we have some things that we feel like that we need to, to spend a little time, you know, trying to to figure out what we're trying to accomplish before they pass. And I think you, you've touched on, on one of them already. The the other is we, we do have some really good legislation uh, that we think is going to help move our state forward. As you know, MEC back in uh, 20, uh, 2022 and early 22 released our Securing Mississippi's Future Vision for Economic Growth. And a lot of emphasis in that was put on workforce development. And we've saw some, seen some really great things. Uh, the Office of Workforce Development was created uh, in in 20. We finally got a, an executive director in the latter part of 21. And, and we have, over the last 20 or so months, seen great strides there. We still got a lot of work to do. Everybody knows that. But we're, we're having people around the country take note of what Mississippi is doing. Uh, in the workforce development area, and one of the one of the big things that has already made it off the floor in the House, and we'll be going over to the Senate, uh, is the making our career coach program permanent. Uh, as you may recall, we started a, a program last year that that opened it up statewide. There had been a couple of instances where pilot programs or or, or local programs have been started, like in Northeast Mississippi with Create. Jackson County had a really great, you know, career coach program. What we wanted to do with that was not reinvent the wheel, just make that wheel go faster. And and this does that. And, and the legislation that was passed was to make it permanent. They're looking at possibly doubling the appropriation from eight to 16 million so that all parts of the state will be able to take. And the idea is to have someone in the school who has experience in, in the business world that is not necessarily a employee of the school, so they don't get shifted around to go sit study hall or, or work the bus line. Their job is to be there to meet with high school students and say, let's talk about what career pathways exist for you 
when you finish high school? What is the post-secondary education needs that you'll have when you finish high school to be prepared for this job? So very exciting times. It's a model. I, w- I was talking with um, a, a gentleman by the, Stephen, by the name of Stephen Moray. He used to be down in Louisiana. He was in Virginia. Now he works for a, an education foundation uh, based in Washington. And I, I was at a meeting two weeks ago. He was he was one of the speakers, and he and I got off the side and started talking because come to find out he's from Mississippi. So he has a he has a tie to the state. Uh, and we were talking about our, our career coaches models. And he says, Scott, I hadn't heard anything like that at all. And at, since that time, he's asked me to to work with them on one of their one of their things that they want to do is kind of have metrics for what a, a career coach slash counselor uh, would be doing. And, you know, in, in Mississippi, counselors have a lot of students they have to be responsible for, which is what prompted this. So very exciting things happening on, on that front. I think there are a lot of other things happening in terms of, of there's some legislation that we're working on to increase <laughs> financial aid availability to students across the state uh, and make it also available to non-traditional and, and, and part-time students, which it doesn't currently, we don't currently have that option. So there's a lot of great things happening right now, and we're very excited that uh, despite the fact that you sometimes have to go fight against another bill that takes all the, it gets all, it gets all the attention and bandwidth on the early stages, but behind the scenes, we know there's still some really good stuff that this session can produce for us. And we're very excited about that. I can, I can relate to that. Well, I often said as a publisher, let's say we take a position on something. Um, let's say we write two editorials in one day. It's a great way to say it. So the, the one editorial is one we really studied and thought about and said, gosh, this is going to be super controversial and let's go ahead and do it because we believe in it. And the other one, we didn't think it was going to be controversial. I still did our homework on it, of course. We did it. So I lose sleep over the first one and I get to work the next day. And, and the only the only thing that's happening is my phone's ringing on the second one. <laughs> we thought it was not going to touch any nerves and it touched a lot of nerves. So you really never know, do you, when the legislative yeah, session starts where those nerves are going like to be, you. you know? You hey, listen, I just say to you, you know, your point about an election year typically is a pretty slow year, but I've been in touch with the speaker and the lieutenant governor and um, and they've got smoke coming out their ears, as you well know. It's crazy. Uh, it's been been very very dynamic. Uh, they're having to to rely heavily, as you as you also well know, on their leadership. And uh, you know the teams are working hard on behalf of Mississippi, and that's true. And as it relates to the bills around career coaches and this whole notion around workforce uh, uh, development, you know, we've made, gosh, we've made so much progress. I, I, I recall conversations I've had with Glenn East from the Gupport School System and the work that they're doing there is just so revolutionary and certainly innovative. Uh, I think about the conversation I had with Mary Graham. You know, at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, first of all, the community college system in Mississippi in general is one of the best systems in the United States. But Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College is one of the, is one of the top in the state. When you think about 50 per, over 50% are in non-traditional education now. You know, that's workforce type stuff. Man, that we're making really good progress. Anything we can do to get younger people starting to think about what their core competencies are and what their education might be going forward. It might not be traditional college. It might be workforce development, and they may be able to make more money sooner. Um, That's all good, and I'm excited about where we are. We're going to continue the conversation with Scott Wall, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council here in just a second. We'll see you after this break.
listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Having a conversation with Scott Waller, who's the president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. And we're going to be joined now by Jamie Miller, who's president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. Both have been on the show a number of times. And uh, when we went to the uh, break, uh, Jamie, we were just talking about how this legislative session sort of uh, is a bit against the grain what you would normally see during election time. I mean, there are so, so many, so many deep, engaging bills that are that are being considered. Was it a surprise to you that it was such a packed house there in terms of the bills? Yeah, I mean, you know, you think in an election year, things will kind of ease into the water. No one's wanting to get uh, too out, uh, far out on any one issue. And uh, yeah, it kind of caught me off guard. I mean, you know, we, we were kind of easing into the session and each session has its own personality. And this one kind of took on a new life last week, got very active. Uh, of course, deadlines do that when you get to deadline weeks with uh, committees and, and chambers. Uh, so, yeah, it, it took a uh, much quicker pace last week. And you know you've been up around around that world for a long time, so uh, you, you sort of you always know to expect the unexpected. So uh, Scott, coming back to you, tell me about your partnership with Jamie and the and the Gulf Coast Business Council and why that's so critical. Well, first first and foremost, I want to just congratulate Jamie on his new role and, and very excited about working with him. We've MEC's had a long standing you know partnership with the Gulf Coast Business Council and, and see them as a, a true ally. And I think that's that's what's exciting. Jay, Jamie and having known Jamie in his time when he was the MDA and some other work that he's done in the past fits right into what we're trying to do. And and, and honestly, at MEC, as the state chamber, we, we really kind of feel like we, we have to have these types of partnerships to be successful because, as, I, as Jamie and I have talked about, we want the Gulf Coast to be extremely successful. We want there to be economic growth. We want there to be all types of opportunities for people, particularly our young professionals, to to come to the coast and, and be able to live and work and play there. And in doing so, it's going to make the state as a whole so much better. And I think that's why that's so important. And, and where it really all started, it, it, it's always felt that way, but we have made that a priority at MEC. Back in, in 2021, we, we finalized our strategic plan, not not the vision plan I mentioned earlier, which is more of a roadmap of ideas for helping move the state forward. This was the internal part of how does MEC meet its members' needs as we go forward. Uh, we had started that just before COVID hit. Uh, fortunately, we stayed on track. Uh, Anthony Wilson, Mississippi Power, was my chair at the time and made sure that that, that was finished. But one of the four goals is to align the business community to enhance effectiveness and influence. And in doing so, we have to have these partnerships with groups like the Gulf Coast Business Council. And, and so many of, of Jamie's members are very active in MEC. And it's just it just creates so much uh, that that working together allows us to really focus on things that are going to move not only the coast, but the state as a whole forward. And that's why it's so important. 
Yeah, I remember from my conversation with Anthony Wilson, in fact, actually, there was an overlapping period when he was chairman of both organizations, which I, I think is from a strategic point of view, is a, is a great opportunity to really strengthen the, the relationships and the partnership. And and uh, is that that's what you see as well, huh, Jamie? That's right. In fact, you know, it's when I made the final decision to take the new position uh, at the council, I uh, invited Scott to lunch and we got together. I really wanted to hear from Scott, let him know what I was planning to do. And uh, he was gave me some good advice, was very uh, welcoming to that that idea. Uh, and immediately we, we saw the connection and the need to, to partner and stay in touch with each other. And it's uh, one of the things I talked about in my interview and I've talked about since uh, in the last you know 60 or 75 days is just the, the importance of strategic partnerships with other like-minded organizations like MEC and there are others uh, because you know so much of what impacts the coast happens in other parts of the state I mean just the politics and policies that that may be happening so uh, Scott's been a tremendous asset to to our organization and you know I, I think it's benefiting both. Well, listen, uh, this is a recording. I said Tuesday a minute ago. I meant Wednesday. It's been being recorded on Wednesday prior to it showing on Monday. So it's rare for us to have an, a discussion like we're what we're going to have now that is um, so far in advance of when it's going to run, especially when you consider the legislative session keeps on moving. And, um, and 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 there's this may or may not be resolved. My sense is there will be some resolution before this actually airs, or maybe that's not the case. But either way, um, I wanted to have a conversation about the, the efforts by the Mississippi Independent Pharmacy Association to try to create a, a business scenario for themselves that would enable them to be successful going forward, because their world has changed greatly with the world of big pharma and PBMs, essentially what these are, these are middleman negotiators that are working hard to get the rate down. Um, it's a tough world for independents, not just independents for that matter, retail and pharmacy in general. And they've introduced a bill and uh, it has gotten, um, it's gotten some sort of uh, negative reaction from the business community. And with that said, Scott, why don't you do this for me? Just frame the issue. Uh, not MEC's position on it, but just frame the issue, and then after that, you can you can tell me what your position is on it, and then Jamie, you can say what Scott forgets to say, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay, Scott, go ahead. Well, this this is an issue that actually arose last year, uh, where the pharmacists, the independent pharmacists, came in with a plan that would change that would change the model of how pricing was was structured. It would also add a fee what's called a dispensing fee. Those typically exist today in, in smaller amounts, but this one was going to be $11.29 per prescription, regardless of what the prescription was. And it also basically, in doing that, took away negotiating power from our private entities in the state. And, and so you, you were having a state mandate from a pricing standpoint. You were having the state get in the middle of telling a company they no longer had the right to negotiate their own contracts when in many is, is a lot of people may not understand the companies that have large numbers of employees typically have self-funded insurance plans so in other words they take on all the risk involved with with having benefits for their employees which is is a a it's a cost of doing business but it's also a necessity of doing business to be able to attract good employees so you want to have you want to have a, a, a benefit system in place that helps you attract people that's not overly expensive 
and it allows them to do so. With prescription drugs, there have been a lot of changes over the last few years. And, and where we've seen ourselves is there's become this battle between the big guys and the little guys. And, 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 and that's where that's where it kind of gets convoluted a little bit. And, and what the independent pharmacists came out with was something that a lot of our members looked at and said, this is going to if we if we do it this way, it's going to cost us a whole lot of money. And uh, it, it was very interesting. We uh, had multiple conversations with Lieutenant Governor, staff, uh, several senators. And, uh, you know, he has heard from a number of our members, which are also, you know, members of, of Jamie's that is explained to him, here's what's going to cost. And, and, and his point he made the other day says, I've heard from them. They're people I trust. We just have to, we have to figure out how we go forward on this. So to your point, we don't really know what the final resolution will be with the upcoming deadline uh, that will have occurred on Thursday. But what we do know is that as it's structured, this was not a piece of legislation that the business community felt they could support. It was not a piece of legislation that they felt like truly saved them money, that the claim that was being made is it saved money. And and I've even said in, in a lot of the stuff, and, and I know I've written some things that have probably raised a couple of eyebrows, but at the end of the day, I've said from day one, I said to every center, if, if I'm wrong, if, if I'm wrong in what I'm saying and what I'm, the information that I've researched and I've gotten is, and this really does, then, then I have to ask the question, are we not being unfair to our teachers and our state employees by not having them as part of this because it is it it exclusively takes away the state plan from this and, and they'll say well that's that's how the legislation's always been but my point is without that line in it in this current legislation the state plan would be subject to the same rules and all you got to do is say okay let's scratch that line put the state plan in there everybody's part of it and then let's see what happens. But I think at the end of the day, back to your point, the problem arose that there was no conversation between the parties prior to this legislation being reintroduced the same, basically in the same fashion it was last year. And if, if we're gonna get to a point where we're able to address some of the issues that are, and, and we value our, our local pharmacists, we understand their importance, particularly in small rural communities across the state, we have to have them. Uh, but if we're going to get to a resolution, we all got to get around the table and talk about the issues in a way that we're not just automatically having to fight something right out of the chute. And, and I talked to a local pharmacist from Gulfport yesterday, very, very nice gentleman who, you know, at first he was not real happy with me. But toward the end of the conversation, we talked about, look, for us to be successful in finding a solution, it can't just be one way or the other. There's got to be some things that we do. And I think that's where we want to go. I agree with you. And what we'll do, we're visiting with uh, Scott Waller from the MEC and my friend Jamie Miller from the Business Council. When we come back on the other side, we'll get Jamie's reaction to that. And then I want to talk process for a second. Process, which is sort of this no mode of why can't we find middle ground? Why haven't we already found middle ground? And I know there's been some efforts in that regard, but we'll come back to that in just a second. See you after this break.
subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Not, we don't typically get into big issues here on Coast View, but this is one, after I looked into it, I felt like it was uh, one we needed to talk about. And by the time this is this airs on Monday, there could be, I, I doubt there's going to be, a, my, my, my prediction is there's not a resolution to this. And there's going to be some need for some future work around this. But um, but I wanted to have the conversation with, with Scott Waller from the MEC and Jamie Miller from the Business Council. Jamie, what would you add to what Scott has already sort of summarized? Well, Scott did a great job of kind of uh, hitting all the points. Uh, you know, I was playing catch up to this issue. You know, this is not something I was paying attention to last year. And even last week when this kind of came to a head, uh, so I've been trying to spend some time educating myself, talking to other people. I think Scott's right. For the people I've talked to, there is a real need to correct or, or level the playing field for some of our independent pharmacists, for sure. Uh, and we're not opposed to that. We're not opposed to, to that organization uh, or those, you know, those pharmacists working in our communities. But this appeared to be uh, an attempt to put it on the shoulders of employers and eventually employees at some cost. And you know, we debated about whether it, will it increase the cost or not increase the cost. The fact is, we should have known going into this discussion, it, it, some of that should have been settled. We should have had an opportunity. So I think Scott's right. We were only put in a position. Of course, I represent you know business and industry and, and those employees on the Gulf Coast. Uh, I don't feel like we had an opportunity to to be in any other posture than to to oppose the legislation. So I, I'm hoping that maybe this is bring you know the attention that has been brought to it. Maybe we can do that moving forward you know okay so i mentioned this to scott before the show started but I'll, I'll say it on the air as a way of saying this this could be the perception and then i want to bring the conversation back to sort of the quantitative side of this which i think is really important actually but i mean some could view this as big business and big pharma and the pbms these this intermediary for the between local pharmacies and the the um, and big pharma, they're, these are the ones negotiating these deals, et cetera. They're doing billing and other things. Insurance companies could be could be part of this, and any others that actually uh, benefit from what is perceived to be a lack of transparency. One of the one of the points that the Mississippi Independent Pharmacy Organization continues to make is they're trying to bring transparency to the conversation, but. Um, but but I'll come back to that in just a second. And and so what's with that group that I just named is higher prices. And on the other side are retail and local pharmacies and the consumer. But it really doesn't it really doesn't stack up like that actually. And one of the things that Scott and I was talking about before the conversation started was that he's been able to hear from without naming specific company names he's been able to hear from specific companies that have run their numbers i'd like to see the analysis but i just have to take their word for it they run the numbers and for them for specific companies the numbers for them could be as high as a million dollars or more increase and uh, you know i ran a company and if i heard that just on the pharmacy line in my insurance plan it was going to be up that much that's, that's a pretty serious number um, so while there may be a lack of transparency overall, I think that's an issue we have with, with big pharmas in general. It, it seems to me, Scott, that, that some companies actually have the data they need 
to be able to determine what the impact is going to be on, on them. So you're not being influenced by PBM lobbyists that are speaking in sort of you know certain terms. You're being compelled by businesses that have run their numbers, and that's right. what you're reacting to. So it's not scare tactics from lobbyists. But it is it is raw numbers that CEOs are communicating back to you. Am I correct about that? You're exactly correct. And and the reason that they're concerned, uh, and and we've seen, you know, they've shared numbers with us. And and to your point, I mean, as we get deeper into this, and and maybe we could could really dig into what what a solution could be. But when they're sharing numbers in 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 the millions, and again, you got to you got to take into account, we've got some companies in this state that that employ multiple thousands of people though that's numbers even going to go higher so it is something that we have to think about so that's what is compelled that that is the reason mec is at the table is we see this is a as a cost of doing business that is going to increase drastically but to jamie's point and i think jamie hit the nail on the head and he, he said it much better than i did the first time around so i want to make sure i emphasize the fact that this ultimately will land with the employee with the worker because it may look like on the surface, well, we're going to do this, and the, it just the insurance insurance companies have to pay more. Well, the policyholders, whether it's a group policy with one of our, our insurance companies that provide health insurance in the state, whether it's a self-insured program with a large company, they have to eventually pay the cost. And that cost does trickle down. And, and it trickles down in a variety of ways. I mean, even even right now, I have I – have, um, seen my co-pays have to increase because of, of, of increases in, in care. So, I mean, for us to keep our uh, group policy that we have for our employees at a level that MEC can continue to provide it for each of our employees, I've had to make some adjustments on that side, which means more money out of pockets for employees where they have to get more drugs. On the flip side of that, if they have family members that they need to to insure, they have to pay for it. So if the premiums are rising, then they're also going to see the cost there. So that there's so many, there's a multiple variety of ways that, you know, hardworking Mississippians are going to be impacted if we can't find a solution that, that meets somewhere along the lines of being able to provide costs that, that also allows our, our, our pharmacists to, to do what they need to do. So, I think so at, the, at the core, explain this part, because I think this is important. At the core of the bill is the move from what is called AWP pricing to a NADAC pricing approach. What they would, the NADAC is argued by the independent pharmacies as a less expensive approach. And so what they would do per prescription is add the 1129, which is they say it's full disclosure. That's what it takes them to fill the prescription. And that the combined NADAC plus 1129, it should, should, it should. See, that's the, again, that's part of the, the part problem with this is that should. The, the, we can't say definitively, might, maybe, you know, and which is one of the reasons I'd like to see the, the company data, because if they can say definitively, it's going to cost them as much as a million dollars. I'd like to see how they ran those numbers. But the point being that there is some disagreement around the data and the numbers. And it's hard to reach agreement or have good debate about anything if we can't agree on the numbers. But why don't you address this whole notion of moving from AWP to NADAC? 
and 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 there's a couple things there and and again this goes back to as you mentioned your previous career mine was in the same field you know i spent 20 plus years in 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 journalism and newspapers and you know you were taught to look at both sides of the issue and that and and that's very helpful to me because now i can look at both sides of the issue the difference is now when i go advocate i get to advocate my side but i have the information that helps me back that up so what what i did is i, I really try to take a look at what actually nadac pricing is nadac pricing is a pricing that's it's a system that they survey pharmacists to get an acquisition cost for the drugs and it's done through cms which is the center for medicaid medicare services the problem you have is there are 60,000 pharmacies across the country. They survey on a monthly basis up to 2,500, but the, the, those participating are very limited. It's only about 450 to 500 on average. So it's a very small sample size. And, and, and in, in the research, we found some information from uh, Milliman, which is a, an actuary, actuary service that had looked at what are the, you know, what are the, the pros and cons, if you will, of NADAC. And, and what they said is, it, NADAC, when you just use NADAC pricing plus, which is what this would be, it'd be NADAC pricing plus 1150 per fee, it doesn't take into account the, the, the drug mix. So what does NADAC cover? What does NADAC not cover? So there could be a lot of drugs that would then be not covered by NADAC. Well, under this legislation, it would go back to the old pricing model. So the price that they're currently paying would still be the price, plus the eleven twenty nine will be added on top of that. So that's where you get into: is this really going to save money? And and I don't think anybody can definitively say that it is. And when our when our members are telling us they've run the numbers and they see that this could be very costly to them, that's how we have to do it. So and then the the final part of this is NADAC. There's nothing that's stopping anyone from using NADAC today. NADAC is not off limits. NADAC could be used at any point in time that they want to use it. It's just when they put that, when they work with their pharmacy specialists, they put these larger plans put together what is going to be their best ability to be able to get the best prices, make sure they're getting rebates, which, you know, one of the other, other arguments is that the businesses don't know what rebates are. Quite frankly, they're getting, they're getting monthly reports on what their rebates are. They know what the, it's all contractual. It's that, that ability to have that private contract and, and and so when you think take all that into consideration, we're thinking, okay, well, there could be some advantages to to using this in some fashion, but just to go to it as a straight model, there's 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 some problems here that we've seen. So that's kind of how we take that. So our our approach has been look, understand what this actually does first, and try to go that way. And then as we get through that, we can then figure out, okay. The companies that have gone with this, what does that mean? That's a, that's a good starting point for me. Right? Yeah. And what we've learned is they do not they they do not see this as, as, as valuable. So that, there's a lot of things happening. When we come back on the other side for the final segment, we'll sum all this up. But I want to I'm curious about of the total population of drugs, what percentage is covered by NADAC? So in other words, what percentage would not be covered and fall back to the old pricing? That's actually important to the overall conversation. We'll see you when we get on the other side with Scott Waller and Jamie Miller. We'll see you. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to COSIA. Having a sort of a, an unusual meeting for, for COSIA as we talk about this pharmacy issue, but it's important. And I wanted to to uh, kind of stage it up, and we can talk more about it as we go forward. But when we went to break, we're talking about these difference in pricing models. One, we'd be moving from one to another. Uh, the one that, that the pharmacy independent groups want to move to is, is called NADAC. It's supposedly less expensive, and then you add their 1129 uh, dispensing fee on top of that, and it's supposed to cover the cost. I get what they're trying to accomplish here. But if you look at NADAC, about what percentage of drugs are not covered by NADAC? Well, according to what the, the information that we have been able to, to gather in the research we've done is it really can vary as, as high as 60% not reported. Because what it is, it, it reports it on a, on a kind of a, a fairly regular basis, but again, it's a small number of pharmacies that are actually recording that. And 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 the other side has said, well, they don't. The large pharmacies don't want to tell people what they're paying. And I, I don't necessarily know if that's that's really the the true part of it or not. But I'll just say, what we're getting right now is not getting us giving us the picture that we're going to need to really understand the impact of, of going to this price. Yeah, and here's here in line sort of the problem of trying to understand for my company what's the impact going to be. You got to almost have to list every single drug that everybody's taken and do the you know really do micro analysis. J- Jamie, what would you add to that before I get to process uh, next? Well, as the debate has kind of driven on, you you begin to understand how technical and how complex it is. Healthcare delivery and healthcare policy is is something uh, that most people don't have to deal with until they're at their pharmacist trying to pay for a prescription. Uh, And so, you know, but any one piece of legislation that's going to have what our members have, have calculated to be this dramatic of an impact needs further study. It needs further consideration. So I, I don't think we're, uh, again, I just want to say, you know, we're, we're not opposed to independent pharmacists, uh, but but to put something in a bill that, that is going to have some dramatic impact uh, needs yeah. to be looked at closely. Scott, what I would say is, I've mentioned this to you before we started, I found your column to be rather harsh, and I think that's one that you alluded to that. You, you, you I think that's one of the reasons why they, they were they were very defensive with you. I'm saying the independent pharmacy guys, but after you had an opportunity to chat with them and talk about so, sort of these uh, these gray areas that are hard to come, you know get your head around, is it, the point that Jamie's making is that um, it, it often when you get in a situation like this, you probably should punt and and come back together again. One of the, when I led strategic planning for for some major corporations, I often would say this that you can't go to where you're going if you don't know where you are now. And the the quantitative analysis is so critical. You know, agreeing on what NADAC is, what it's not, how do you apply what we what we have from that to a specific company to understand what the impact's going to be, adding the 1129 per prescription back into it. It seems like that in principle, what the what the independent pharmacy guys want to do is noble and important because we need them. We need them to be, we need them to be financially successful. We need them to serve these small communities all over Mississippi. We want them to be successful. But on the other hand, we can't find a solution that's going to cause one company's pharmacy cost to go up a million dollars because we thought we found a solution. That's not what I would refer to as a win-win. So, you know, it seems to me that all the parties got to get back to the table and agree on the data and have a really sort of unemotional discussion around what does the data tell us and then what can we implement based on that that would be kind of a win-win for both sides. Is that the way you see it, Scott? 
Well, I, and I think that has, there has to be a a very sincere effort for that to happen. In other words, we've got to come to the table and be willing to, you know, not just say, okay, we've got a problem and we're just going to go reintroduce a bill and, and be done with it. I mean, I, I think that was the most disappointing thing is there was supposed to be that dialogue between last year and this year that just did not happen. Yeah, you had a year to get and, it together. And, and, it, and it came back and, and, and that was, you know, that was, you know, I guess you have to, to figure out, okay, well, if we, if that is actually going to happen, who's going to, who's going to lead that charge. But at the end of the day, where we are right now is I, I, to Jamie's point, this is a very complex piece of legislation. And, you know, we, we do not believe that, you know, if it went in, if it went into effect now, uh, you, you got a lot of, you've got a lot of things that you've got to understand what it actually does. Uh, you know, it also has to get back to the fact that, there are contracts already in place that go through the end of this year that would be impacted by this if it goes into effect in in July. So I mean, you've got all these things that that, that play a factor. And then, and then then I'll I'll ask that question again: Is you know why why is the state plan specifically excluded if the claim they're making that it saves money is is, is accurate? So I, I just think that that need they need the state plan needs to be at the table during these discussions too. So I think there's there's a lot of people that, that can get around the table that have a lot more knowledge about how all this works than than, than I do. But at the end of the day, we, we feel like that hopefully will happen. Because for all of these like reasons get this for get, all these reasons when this airs on Monday, I predict no resolution is found and and, well, and um, unfortunately, we need we've got other pieces, other things that we need to work on. We we need to work on the workforce stuff we were talking about earlier. We've got transportation funding that we need to focus our attention on. We've we've got other things out there that we just feel like we need to really be putting the same effort into that that are actually going to drive our state in a positive direction that, that can be much more. Um, I get it. I get it. The giant sucking sound of bills like this. Whoo! The energy it takes. My goodness. But we find ourselves in a different place when we have when we get deep into something like this, and we hopefully we can put a process in place going forward and help us find the resolution. Hey, Jamie Miller from the Gulf Coast Business Council and Scott Waller from MEC, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Ricky. You bet. It's been a pleasure. We will uh, see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.